My name is Jerry Banfield and I am an alcoholic. My sobriety date is April 22nd, 2014 and you are going to love hearing my story today. I listen to lots of speaker meetings online. I go to an AA meeting almost every day, five or six days a week. And uh, the unique angle I'm going to share you, with you here, I will call advanced sobriety. So getting basic sobriety and then kind of standard sobriety where you've really worked the steps. And then to me, giving you, especially if you're new, to help you have a vision of the vast amount of possibilities that are available for you having a sober life. I know it's scary when you get sober and you think my life's just gonna suck and I have to be boring now and I don't know what life is gonna look like if I don't drink anymore and I wanna give you a really good idea of that. I This is what I do full time now and this is a gift of sobriety. So I'm live streaming and sharing this on Twitch right now. This is my whole professional life, a gift of sobriety that I am a full time live streamer. I do things like this which I record off of Twitch and then upload on YouTube and then I play video games and this is a gift of sobriety. This is something that was not possible for me before. My entire life now is dedicating to carrying the message online and if you want more of my Drunkalog, I put up my six year and my seven year AA speaker meetings on YouTube which a lot of you have watched and said they were helpful. That has a lot of my drunkalog in it and I'm feeling today, I wanna talk so much about sobriety and specifically advanced sobriety. So I'll lay out some definitions for you and you will find these really helpful. Basic sobriety is just you stay sober no matter what and my first 90 days in Alcoholics Anonymous, just basic sobriety seemed impossible because for 11 years before that, I had relied on drinking for almost everything in my life. I'd relied on drinking to help hook up with girls, which was the first reason, the first time I ever drank was in college and uh, I felt that if I could, uh, I believed the lie that I had been told tens of thousands of times by commercials on TV and uh, by in movies, listening to things and stories, I believed the lie that if I would buy a six pack of beer and have a girl over, that that would lubricate the transaction. Because it seemed when I was sober my freshman year in college, for most of my freshman year, that me being sober was getting in the way of losing my virginity. So I hoped that when I got this six pack of beer, that it would help me loosen up a bit and be a bit more fun and not so uptight and uh, closed. And it did, it did help me open up, did not help me have sex because after I had two and a half beers in 2003 freshman year of college, I didn't care about sex anymore. I felt so good, like wow, this is why people drink, this is awesome, I can't wait to do this again. And I remember as soon as I woke up the next day, it, I was kind of curious, I'm like, hmm, I had those two and a half beers, I felt great, didn't even really care about the girl that came over. That's not what they said in all the beer commercials, but I want that feeling again, and I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get that feeling again. 11 years of doing whatever it took to get that feeling again, and I saw that I was hopeless, that I could not stop chasing that feeling. It didn't matter if I promised my wife I'd never drink again, or if I swore to God I would never drink again. Nothing else except me getting drunk 
mattered anymore. I was utterly powerless over alcohol. I couldn't just have one drink. I couldn't control it over any given period of time. I could have one drink on one day just to prove to you I wasn't an alcoholic, but the next day or soon thereafter, there'd be a bender that proved, oh, you are an alcoholic. The way I got to Alcoholics Anonymous is I said, please God, I'll do anything to get sober. Now, at the time, I identified as an agnostic, which means I wasn't really sure if there was a God or wasn't a God, and mainly because none of my prayers seemed to be answered before. At least if they were answered, I attributed that to me, and if they weren't answered, I attributed that to God. Like, all right, if I don't get what I want immediately, God's not listening and maybe doesn't exist at all, and if I do get what I want right away, that's because I'm awesome. So I prayed, I said, please God, I'll do anything to get sober because I realized my wife was about to leave me because she couldn't stand to be with an alcoholic anymore and my health was fading. I was throwing up blood on April 22nd, 2014 because of drinking a half handle of vodka, which is about a liter of vodka the night before, plus a bunch of beer and a few other things. I thankfully did not get into marijuana cocaine or any of the other drugs more I experimented a little bit in college with marijuana but I I found I lost control too easily when I even just smoking marijuana and drinking I found I lost control and unexpectedly got sick and threw up the last time I did that so I said never again with that marijuana I can't control that but I finally realized that last hangover that I can't control my drinking and I can't even stop my drinking. The last day I drank, I remember thinking, I don't want to do this. I don't want to see how the next day is going to look. But my mind screamed some curse words at me and said, this is your last chance to drink for like a week because your father's memorial is coming up. It's now or never. Get on with it. And I drank and I woke up and had the consequences the next day and I realized I'm hopeless. I can't stop even if I want to, no matter what the consequences are. So I prayed, please, God, I'll do anything to get sober because I didn't see any other option. And the thought came through my mind that said, well, maybe going to Alcoholics Anonymous is a part of anything that you just offered. And that thought was surprising. That thought felt different than a lot of the other thoughts I had. And I felt relieved, like, okay, that's, that doesn't sound so bad. I kind of thought it might be drastic. I didn't realize what I was getting into at the time, but that didn't seem so bad. I'm like, okay, I can go to Alcoholics Anonymous. I went to one Alcoholics Anonymous meeting when I was in college. And I, in a, a, the typical way that alcoholics, I would say that alcoholics often are liars and cheats and thieves, but we often convince ourselves we're honest. And much like our media lies to us today, we often lie by putting a shred of the truth surrounded by a narrative that's not very accurate. So I, I got in trouble in college when I was 21 for, I was a senior in college and I was a resident advisor, meaning I was responsible for living with a bunch of freshmen, a floor of freshman students, and it was up to me to kind of take care of them and help them out and be there for them. And I was doing that by selling them alcohol and offering to drunk drive them places and drinking and hanging out with them when they were drunk. And I got in trouble for that. And in a rare moment of honesty, that helped save my job because I remember thinking I just can't live with myself if I lose this job. I'll do whatever it takes to keep this job. 
So I said, I told my boss, I said, look, I'm struggling with alcoholism. And I'm, I don't know if I said I was an alcoholic, but I, I might have. And I said, you know, maybe I can keep my job if I go to an AA meeting or something like that. And I ended up going to an AA meeting with my boss. And he might have had some issues with alcohol himself. And there was one of these table meetings, like one table of like eight people. And everybody else shared about their experience with their story drinking and how they got sober. And when it came to my boss, I noticed he just said his name. He didn't say he was an alcoholic. And I thought, great, I'm gonna do that too. And he shared a bit about his father's alcoholism. And then I shared a bit about my father's alcoholism as well. And at the end of the meeting, they says, anybody want a white chip? I'm like, nope. And uh, I remember this guy asking me over the coffee pot after the meeting, do you want to get a sponsor? I'm like, nope. I want to get the heck out of here as soon as possible. And I'm going to go home and have a couple of drinks and prove I'm not like you all. That I can control and enjoy my drinking. And that's exactly what I did. I went home. I had this big cup mug I used to drink out of. I'd pour a can of Diet Dr. Thunder, you know, because I'm trying to be healthy and not have so many calories when I drink. And then put some ice and then take two shots of vodka, usually like 70 proof flavored vodka. And I'd call that one drink, drank that down. I had another one of those, drank that down. Nothing bad happened. I'm like, see, I'm not like any of them. But I was also at a point in my life where I wasn't ready to grow up. I had tried staying sober for a week senior year of college. Right before I got in trouble with my job, I had wrecked my car drunk driving. And thankfully, I've always had a sixth sense of when and where the police might be or when any authority figure, all the way back to you know, my father being a kid, I always kept where my father was at in mind because what I could do when he was around versus when he was in another room, I could get away with a lot more. And my dad got me in trouble in first grade because I realized if the teacher wasn't watching me, I could do whatever I wanted to. And as long as I knew when she was and was not watching me, I could play however I wanted. I could take toys from kids, make everybody else do what I wanted. And then as soon as the teacher looked around, I'd just act like I wasn't doing anything. The teacher told my father, there always seems to be trouble around Jerry, but he, I never see him doing anything. And my dad told her, well, you just got to watch him before there's any trouble, and then you'll see what he's doing that's leading to the trouble. And for some reason, I've had this sixth sense. I've been able to get away with the things I did drunk. Or I thought, I thought if I didn't get caught by the police and go to jail, that I was getting away with things like wrecking my car. I was getting away with you know, drinking underage, vandalism, burglary. You know, I thought I was getting away with the things I was doing in my drinking if I didn't get caught. Suicide attempts, I'm like, well, it doesn't count. What's up, Zach? Thanks for watching live on Twitch. I figure if I don't get caught doing it, it's like I never did it. And that was a big block to me getting sober because when I came to my first AA meeting when I was 21, I hadn't gotten a DUI. I hadn't had hardly any consequences officially. Now, I'd had lots of unofficial consequences, like I'd nearly killed myself drinking and passing out and throwing up one night. Thankfully, I passed out face down, was very confused when I woke up and the bed was all soaked and it was dark. And well, I figured out, oh, I threw up while I was unconscious. That's scary. 
I had consequences. I spent money drunk, I smashed things drunk, and I did things that left me hating myself drunk, like committing crimes, being nasty to people, watching all kinds of horrible videos on the internet. Like these things left me feeling bad, but I got away with them. And uh, I thought I did. And when I went to that first AA meeting, my mind was very much uh, in the thing of if I keep things secret, nobody knows about stuff, then it doesn't count. So I haven't got D, I haven't done this, I haven't done that. I looked around and everybody shared and I'm like, I haven't done that, haven't got caught doing that, haven't done that, haven't done that, haven't done that. I don't fit in here, don't wanna be like these people. Then, that was 2005, my first meeting. Nine years later, I hated myself so much, my life was falling apart so much that I realized I was, after thinking about hurting myself and hurting others, since I was a teenager, very frequently, I realized in 2014, I was on the edge of ending my own life, that I was gonna drink and do something really over the top, my wife was gonna leave, I was gonna be really lonely and I was gonna shoot myself one night. And I also realized there was no other path. I could not see another outcome. And by opening myself up, praying to God, setting a willingness to do anything to see another outcome, I now have another outcome today. My life is so good, it is unbelievable in a lot of ways. I'm like, wow, I'm really just, I'm just a full-time streamer. I have a hot wife that loves me and pays for everything with her job. I have two wonderful kids that love me that I get to be around that are healthy. I have a house that I love and enjoy. I have great relationships with everyone. Every single problem I had when I got sober eight and a half years ago, all of it has been eliminated. I have never known this much peace and this much joy. And I wanna tell you my journey from having kind of a typical you know, newcomer walk in, my life's falling apart, I'm on the edge, to everything is fixed so completely that I've never even seen anyone have a life like this before up close. I mean, I literally, I have no health problems. I mean, I've got some little like spots, might have a little extra yeast or something, that's not a big deal. Like literally, that's the most serious health thing I have. I don't take any medications, I have not had a drink or any mind-altering substance since April 22nd, 2014. I've helped a ton of people get sober and have better sobriety. I've helped a ton of people feel better, not end their own lives. And uh, I absolutely love my life every day. Now, and I even enjoy the brief times where I experience things like a little bit of sadness. It actually is interesting to me because I am happy and loving my life almost all day, almost every day. And I'm even pretty well prepared for some bad things to happen. In my sobriety, all of my living grandparents have died. My father died right before I got sober. My mother nearly died. We didn't know if she was gonna live or not after she fell off her horse and she had some really rough periods and has been very sick for quite a while. I've had two children with my wife, my first two children, and that was quite a challenge. I've had a huge success in sobriety. I've made millions of dollars online, gifts of sobriety. When I first got sober and started to get past just the basics of sobriety, which is you stay sober no matter what. I don't care how good you feel or how bad you feel, as Don would say, God rest his soul. I don't care how good you feel or how bad you feel, you do not take a drink no matter what. 
And that's the basics of sobriety. At 90 days sober, that looked impossible to me. My mind was, I was too. There was like half of my mind that was wishing I could drink, feeling sorry for myself that I needed to stay sober. What's up, Smoke Buds Heavy? Nice to see you on Twitch today. Like half of my mind was totally focused on drinking, feeling sorry for myself. And the other half was, I really wanna have a great life. I'll do whatever it takes to get sober. Please God or anybody else help me. My first 90 days was just in that split mind where I'd be like, God, please don't do anything to stay sober. And literally right after that, my mind would start thinking about how if I went to the liquor store right away, I could have time to get drunk before my wife came home from work and found out what had happened. And then I'd pray to stay sober again and I'd have another thought about, well, forget going to the liquor store. Your wife has some liquor because I, when I first got sober, I got rid of all my liquor out of the house. I had four half gallons of vodka, three at least three half gallons of vodka that were not opened yet because I believed, make sure you do not ever run out of alcohol. Lisa says, you're a blessing to many, Jerry, and I'm proud to know you. Thanks for all you do today to be such an inspiration for others. My great pleasure, Lisa. I'm able to be where I'm at and give what I've got today because so many people when I was new had it to give to me. People like Ty, my first grand sponsor, my first sponsor, Tony, my current sponsor, Bob, who's known me since I came in, and everybody since then, my God, so many people had so much to give me when I came into Alcoholics Anonymous I'm glad I was ready for it and I was desperate for it. And I'm like, please, I am insane sober. And about 90 days sober, I realized the true nature of my problem. Denial was the hardest thing for me to break through because I believe my mind when it said, look, you haven't got a DUI. You're not that bad. You still got a wife. You're not that bad. Look, you've got a job, you're going to school, you're not that bad. You're living with your parents, you don't drink most of the time, you're not that bad. Look, your roommate, he's worse than you. I mean, this guy's knocked out a half handle of vodka before you even got home from work. See, that's an alcoholic, you're not an alcoholic. And I believe that. Denial was so difficult to break through. And where I finally broke through my denial was about 90, I mean, first with going to that first AA meeting, realizing Honestly, I can't stop even if I want to. And that initial desperation got me to AA, but then the real work began. Because if you're like me, when you stop drinking and when you get basic sobriety where you just are not gonna drink no matter what, that's when the true nature of your problem is revealed. See, when you drink, you can kind of be under this illusion that I'm an alcoholic and I drink and my drinking causes some problems, but you have this idea if you're like me that if I didn't drink or if you use drugs, whatever your thing is, if I didn't drink, I'd be a pretty good guy. The real unmanageability, step one in Alcoholics Anonymous is we, uh, we, are we admitted we were powerless over alcohol and our lives had become unmanageable. See, that second part was real difficult for me until at about 90 days sober, I realized I'm going to Alcoholics Anonymous. At this point, I was going twice a week, which that's enough to do the minimum. That's half measures. And half measures are better than nothing. But eventually, half measures will go back to nothing. But to get started, two meetings a week was a lot better than zero. But at about 90 days, 
I saw the true nature of my problem, that I had not had a drink for 90 days, but my mind, sober, was absolutely miserable and insane. And that's my real problem. And that scared me much more than alcohol. In terms of like a drinking problem, that was kind of like, okay, I can just not drink and that problem's fixed. But to look at my own mind, to look at myself in the mirror and to see, oh my God, I'm insane, sober, and several months sober. And this is why Alcoholics Anonymous helps so much because we are under this illusion when if we put down a drink or we put down a substance we're depending on that we're fine, that we're good, that we're basically, that's it. I can just not drink, have basic sobriety, and my life will be just fine. And for me, the longer I didn't drink, the worse my sobriety got. The first few weeks I didn't drink, my physical body started to feel better. You have this delusion, or some people call it pink cloud, that, yeah, I'm just, I'm not gonna drink anymore, and it's all good, you know? Hey, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm going to Alcoholics Anonymous. My life is fantastic now. And I'm finished, you know? Like, that's it. I'm done. Oh, no. That's when the real work starts. Because then the racing mind, after you know a month or two, the self-pity just keeps getting higher. Like, man, this sucks, I can't drink. Every time you see somebody who's drinking, you feel sorry for yourself. I went to a wedding at one month sober and I literally ended up, I overate and then sat out on the back of a wagon at this barn wedding and just sobbed with self-pity. Feeling sorry for myself that I... I knew drinking was suicide and I still felt bad for myself that I couldn't do it. Lisa says, too many get sober and never overcome that denial and slip right back. My mom did until the day she finally said out loud she's an alcoholic. And yes, going to these AA meetings helped me to break out of that denial. The denial is that alcohol is my only issue. That, yeah, if I could just control my alcohol or maybe just don't drink that I'm whole, I'm fixed, no. The real issue is what goes on in here before I've had a drink because that's what's really sick. When someone who's wrecked a car, wrecked relationships, nearly ended their own life, nearly hurt other people and hates themselves, tells everyone, as I did several times, that they're going to get sober and then suddenly changes their mind, thinks it's a great idea and then drinks again. That is sick and that is not happening while you're drunk, that's happening while you're sober. And that got me to a whole new level of desperation. I had a little bit of desperation when I came in Alcoholics Anonymous, when I started to consciously realize that, oh my God, I am insane and I have no idea what to do about that. I don't know what will help with that, I don't know who can help with that, and that's when I started praying. The more my mind, because my mind would lure me into a false sense of security when I first got sober. And you can tell a newcomer all day, they walk in, I'm never going to drink again. They, they're almost not like, they don't respect how persistent and patient the alcoholism is. Oh yeah, I'm never going to drink again, it's no big deal. They're so confident they're never going to drink again. But then they get home, they're full of self-pity, their job didn't go that well a day, and all of a sudden, there it is. It waits. And that's what it did for me. Oh yeah, I won't drink again, I'm good, I see it destroying my life. And then bam, all of a sudden, for me it happened, 
I started going to meetings at the end of April, beginning of May 2014. It happened two months later. There had, of course, been some feeling sorry for myself that I couldn't drink, but the obsession to drink gave me a two-month break. And thank God for that. I did not have the obsession to drink for my first two months. I remember the exact moment it came back. And if you're not familiar, the obsession to drink is like where your mind just constantly wants to drink and you feel like you're gonna die or suffer, suffocate to death if you don't take a drink. For me, it happened on July 4th, 2014. And this is memorable because of the argument I had with my wife right before the obsession to drink came back. And the longer you get sober, the more you start to see how everything is connected in your life. And it says in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, selfishness, self-centeredness, that is the root of our troubles, that we are insane because we're selfish, because we only think of ourselves and we don't, the opposite of selfishness and self-centeredness is connection with others, consideration of others, being with others, sharing and being vulnerable, showing our innermost selves to others. That is the opposite of selfishness and that's what you can really learn to do to get standard sobriety and then move into advanced sobriety for even deeper levels of it. On July 4, 2014, my wife said that she wanted to go spend the day with her family. And I said, you know, I don't like how your family's been treating me lately. I don't want to go spend the day with your family. And she says, you know, holidays are very important for me and I'd really like you to come. I said, I just... I." you know, your family's not being nice to me. I don't want to be around them anymore. And she said, that's fine. I'm going to go spend the day with my family. I'll see you later. As soon as she left, the obsession to drink jumped on me and it took me totally by surprise. For the two months I'd been sitting in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings when they asked, is anybody having trouble staying sober from a drink? I used to think it was funny. Like, oh, I was under the delusion that just because my bottom is in a chair of Alcoholics Anonymous, I'm cured. I'm done. All I got to do is sit here, listen a little bit, maybe read a little bit, and I'm good. I was under the delusion that the obsession to drink would never come back again. I'd heard so many people say the obsession to drink had left them, and I'm like, ah, oh, good, it's left me too. It did, but it can come back at any time, and you need to be ready for it. And this is what I tell people that are new, especially if they're under the delusion the obsession to drink is left for good, I'm like, you need to be ready if it comes back again. What are you going to do if it comes back again? Michael Burgess, nice to see you. Lisa said, imagine a world of no alcoholism or drug addiction. The hospitals and ERs would be empty most of the time. Yes, alcohol and drug addiction, are. these are some of the most lethal and suffering producing things on the planet, but I'll tell you this, it only happens because the state of consciousness people are in is so bad, so so much suffering, so confused, so disconnected before they get into alcohol and drugs that alcohol and drugs seem like a better deal. And that's why every day I'm out here doing whatever I can to lift up people anywhere who are interested in hearing my message. Now, once the obsession to drink, as soon as my wife walked out the door, all of a sudden, after two months, I had not had the obsession to drink. It comes back and it comes back at 100%. And it comes back like this. You know, she really deserves to have you drink after this. It's fine. You told her. Don't worry about that. You told her you never drink again. She's acting up. She's being, a, you know, what she's being. 
You can drink now. It's okay. What are you going to do the rest of the day? You know, she wouldn't even be surprised if you drank at this point. All those kind of thoughts. And not just that, but you fork recalls. So when she leaves, I'm feeling real bad. I'm angry and I'm scared. And my mind's saying, you know, if you take a drink, we can turn this anger and this fear into an awesome, fun day. This is going to be a great day. You're going to go to the liquor store, get some of that strawberry Smirnoff 70 proof vodka, go to Walmart, get some of that Diet Dr. Thunder, get the ice cubes, and hit it hard. And you can drink and play Call of Duty, Black Ops 2 Zombies all day on Origins. Maybe you'll get to round 70 again. You know, it's up there. You're up there in the records. And you can have a really fun day today. Whitey, nice to see you today. Whitey says, I recently learned that I abuse substances when I have anxiety episodes. I didn't even know that I had anxiety until I spoke with my doctor. I remember about a year before I got sober, when I was sober one morning, I looked out the window and I realized, oh my God, this is what people are talking about with anxiety. This is what anxiety is. I didn't even realize what people meant when they said anxiety. All I knew is that when I feel anxiety, I drink. And uh, I've learned today anxiety is just a feeling in the body and that you can use your breath and that there are other things you can use that are all natural that don't require any medication from a doctor. And in fact, most cases I see that people go to the doctor, get anxiety meds, that actually stops them from making better change and learning how to control the feelings and emotions. To me, what I've learned now, anxiety is simply your energy is getting stuck in certain areas of the body. You're putting together a story in your mind that matches with that energy if you can make your mind and your body more flexible and move your energy, you can almost instantly relieve anxiety. I do not have any anxiety for more than a moment or two anymore in my life. I used to be miserable with anxiety. I used to have panic and screaming panic attacks. I have none of that now and you can completely learn how to manage your own emotions. Anxiety is just one of them. You can learn completely how to manage that. You do not need any any medication to manage it if you're like me. Now, each of you has a different path. I trust you to do what feels right. To me, our, our healthcare system is a sick care system. It tries to make you find something you identify with and then keep you in it, keep you sick, and keep you making it a profit. So I personally... I can tell you all of these things I had before, anxiety, depression, bipolar, manic, all these things that doctors would have put me on a ton of medications for, you do not need a doctor to help you at all if you're if you're like me. I was able to fix all of these things just by reading books, going to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, doing the step work, doing things like yoga, learning, reading of books and learning how to control my energy through my breathing, getting a massage, and having very strong connections with people. These, we think we drink because of these things, and uh, I would say to you, you drink and abuse substances because you do not understand how to successfully operate your own body. You do not even, it's like driving a car. If you, nobody taught you how to drive and you just went around and wrecked all the time, you, you uh, at some point would hopefully realize that there must be a way to drive this car without wrecking. And there's a way to drive this body without suffering from almost anything. There's a way to do it. I have found all kinds of ways that work to do it. And that's why I share. 
And I would say that's part of advanced sobriety. Like to learn to get off of these, get off of being dependent on as many things as possible. Some people, you know, get do basic sobriety, work the steps, and they're still dependent on their doctor to give them a medication if that medication gets cut off, or you know, they're all they're they're at risk of drinking or suicide. So I'm all about look, take responsibility for your situation, find people who have what you want, and get the full spectrum of what you're capable of. Nellwood, nice to see you today. Thanks a lot for watching. I Nellwood, how did you find me here and follow on Twitch? One Queen Vibe says, I found an app that's helped me so much with my mental and substance abuse. And what I love is that if you're open to possibilities, life, if you are ready to have a sober life, if you're ready to reach your full potential, you'll find the help is literally directly in front of you. And if you can't see it, you can just pray or send intention. Please, God, show me the help I've already got. So I love today that how healthy I am and I love sharing that. So we'll continue this story we were in. I love also anger and stress. I lump that in right there. Anger, stress, anxiety, depression. These are all things that are created by the medical system to try and uh, essentially leech to get you to identify with problems, to go to your doctor so that they'll give you drugs so that the doctor and the pharmaceutical companies can make money off of you. These are anger, stress, depression, anxiety. These are all things that are routine parts of the human experience. And if you look at someone like me who can handle these things very easily, very naturally, then you can do that yourself. All you need is a mentor, somebody who can handle these things and it, you you don't need any of that other stuff anymore. You don't need alcohol, you don't need other substances and you don't need prescriptions to do it. Now, that's not profitable to tell you that in most cases, but for me, I'm all about whatever it takes, whatever it takes to help someone. My life's mission is to help and to love and to be of service. And I've noticed, I've noticed most people that are sick take a lot of medications. Most people who are healthy don't take any medications or maybe one at the absolute most. And uh, a lot of us, when we come into something like Alcoholics Anonymous, we are very sick and we often trade one addiction for another instead of, and we often simply replace, okay, I can't drink anymore. Let me go to my doctor and they'll give me a bunch of drugs and it'll be kind of like drinking. And I'm not offering or sharing, I don't even know about that kind of sobriety because I have no interest in having that kind of sobriety. Uh, Americans take, Americans have a tiny portion of the world population and Americans take well over half of all the prescription drugs in the world. Clearly, that's not something you actually need in your life. There's lots of people having great lives with no prescription medications at all. Our system, and this is what I thought to me being sober meant that I had to just go along with what everybody else said. I struggled to give up drinking because to me, if I gave up drinking, that means I have to just be a bot. I can't be a rebel anymore. I have to just go along with what everybody tells me. And what I found is being sober and really working and living in a program of Alcoholics Anonymous, I can actually intelligently share with people, okay, this is... I can pick and choose exactly where I want to rebel or speak out about how things are. And not only that, but I can be extremely effective in that area. Alcoholism is, and substance abuse 
is often a rebellion. Like you look around at the world and you say, I hate this world and I hate the people in it and I'm just going to hurt myself to show them and to protest. And self-harm is an exact same kind of form of this. And uh, you want to be very aware in your sobriety, do not trade one addiction for another. Don't just trade your alcoholism for some medications or for a sex addiction or for work addiction. And if you're going to trade, trade in an area that's better. If you need to trade one addiction for another, you can trade your alcoholism for a sugar addiction to get started. But you know, you end up 100 pounds overweight, you that could be just as bad as drinking in a lot of ways. I trade when I first got sober, I got deep into my work. And this happens with a lot of alcoholics. You give up, you know, your your alcoholism was sucking so much energy out of your life. Now you've got this massive amount of energy and it can it will often feel like anxiety because alcohol is a depressant. Marijuana is a depressant. You're used to knocking yourself down all the time. So if you don't knock yourself down, anxiety is just mismanaged energy. It's energy that you're not doing anything with, that you're not focusing it somewhere, that you're not letting it flow throughout your body. Your living body should be full of energy and you need to learn how to focus it. And once you learn how to focus it, oh my God, it's such an amazing experience. One Queen Vibe says, I got tired of being on over 10 meds. I had to take several times a day. Unfortunately, that's the current state of our medical system. It's profitable to, to diagnose you with something that then has a medication that then everybody else makes a profit off of while you personally are now suffering or limited. Lisa says, 58, nothing more than Tylenol. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing that because... These are things that can be contentious in AA meetings. And I'm personally, you know, if you're sober, but you're taking a bunch of mind-altering substances from your doctor, that's not sober in my mind. If I was doing that, that's not sober. You've just, you you think it's, you know, that's might be an improvement in some ways, but you're still stuck in the middle of the disease. So let me go and help you see how I made this transition here. I, I was at home and I was, my mind was filled with thoughts of drinking in July 4th, 2014. And I, meanwhile, I start praying to God. I'm like, please, God, I'll do anything to stay sober. And that didn't stop the thoughts from coming through my mind. But I did get some occasional relief after I'd pray and I prayed relentlessly. Please, I really mean it, God. Please, I want to stay sober. And I was so afraid. At some points, I literally just stood still. I remember standing still because I was essentially afraid of like spiritually falling asleep and going on autopilot where all of a sudden you're just drunk and you don't even hardly know what happened. And that's because you went on autopilot because you gave up control of your body and just let it do whatever it wants. Getting sober is difficult because your mind and body are essentially programmed based on what you've done in the past and when you do something like get sober, you're trying to change the programming. So your your momentum of drinking and your desired new direction conflict with each other and that's uncomfortable. And it's more comfortable and much easier when you get help. But I was stubborn and I was locked into this thing like, the, of, I think July 4th, 2014 was a Friday. And I didn't have another meeting planned until Tuesday. 
and I suffered and I prayed and I was scared and I was anxious. So I went to the gym and tried to work out and I got a little bit of relief and I did a bunch of work and I got a little bit of relief and I read the big book Alcoholics Anonymous and I got a little bit of relief and I called my mother and I got a little bit of relief. And when I went to go to bed, just this hopelessness set in. Like, I can't live like this tomorrow. I can't keep doing this. Because I had never stayed sober through that level of obsession. Every time I had drank. Because I figured, if I'm thinking about drinking this much, I must want to drink. And why bother doing something? Why try and fight what I want to do? I remember thinking I should just give up trying to stay sober, I clearly can't do it, so I might as well just get it over with. Why waste good drinking time trying to be sober? And yet, I remember what people said in meetings, don't drink today, don't drink today. I'm like, I'm not gonna drink today, I'll just drink tomorrow. I'm not gonna drink today, I'll, I'll drink tomorrow. And I started to make plans about how great it was gonna be to drink tomorrow, and then I'm starting to realize, good God, this is really went nuts. This is not what these people, like I started to identify like this is what people mean about their first 90 days was hard. And let me give you a little perspective on how this happened with my wife. So a week, my wife's family was has been very good to me. In fact, I found out later, my wife on the last night I drank told her mother, asked her mother, said, mom, can I come stay at your house? We lived an hour away. And her mom and her mom's like, why? And she's like, well, Jerry's drinking and being really loud and I just can't take it anymore. And her mom told her, she said, sweetheart, you don't just leave your husband when he's having a hard time. And my mother-in-law encouraged Laura to actually stay in the house that night. And I'm so glad she did. I have a feeling if Laura had left that night, some that we would have been went down a totally different path with our relationship. I would have done something stupid like maybe go to a massage parlor or something or you know hurt myself or smash something there are, something bad would have happened if she had left that night i didn't know this at the time but laura's mother actually encouraged her to not leave me that night and thank god because i felt this kind of safety when laura was home in the house that i didn't feel when she was out of the house and i woke up the next day realizing how close i'd come to losing the rest of my life so keep that in mind laura my mind is telling me, and I told Laura with my words that I didn't like how her family were treating me, but the truth was that her family was treating me very well, and I was sick. That's the truth. So, a week before we had this fight on July 4th, and the, a week before the obsession to drink came back, Laura's parents had this new dachshund that was just bark, 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 bark. And uh, the dachshund, the dog got through, the dog triggered me. Well, I could kinda, if you're an alcoholic or addict, you often have, there's basically two of you. There's your public presentation that you kinda stay in that all day at work, and uh, you know, if you're around uh, people besides your innermost circle, they get this public version of you. It's often pretty nice, kinda people-pleasing, oh sure, oh yes ma'am, oh no, you're all polite and stuff. And then there's the second version of you that's a real monster that your intimate partner gets to see sometimes, if not all the time, that your friends and family get to see sometimes or all the time and that you will see when you look in the mirror. There's often these two versions of you. There's this one public persona and there's this one private thing that you often identify with as me. 
that this is who I really am and I have to hide this from other people or nobody else would want to be around me. And the dog could see right through my public persona and it looked at me and it bark, bark, bark and it got me. Finally, after, you know, and meanwhile, everyone else is not affected that much by the dog barking, but I'm almost 90 days sober. Actually, maybe just a little over two months. I'm on edge, and I don't have an obsession to drink, but I don't feel very good, and I have this raging anger and anxiety that then turns into depression and then goes back to anxiety and anger, and it's just on the surface all the time, and the dog hit the spark. And I screamed, shut the f I screamed, shut the F up at the dog as loud as I could in front of everybody in Lara's family. And of course, the dog stopped for a second and then resumed barking. And everybody in Lara's family looked at me. They had seen me. Now, they had seen me drunk on some previous occasions, but no one had seen quite how sick I was sober before. And all of a sudden, Instead of owning what I did, that I scared everybody and that I was out of control and struggling and sick instead of telling everybody the truth that I'm struggling being sober, I'm about to lose it, I'm angry and anxious and scared all the time, I could really use some help instead of saying that, I told the story that I don't like them. I don't like them. They aren't treating me right. And that caused the fight with my wife a week later where I didn't want to see her family. And it had the only thing it had to do with them is that they saw through my public persona, they could see how sick and hurting I was. And therefore, because they could see, I didn't want to be around them. And my alcoholism was just waiting for an opportunity like that to scream at the dog. And it was waiting for an opportunity to have that fight with my wife and as soon as we had that fight, it jumped in and offered a solution. But what I didn't see at the time is it also created the problem. It created the problem, then it offered a solution. This seems to be what happens in our society at a bigger level too. There's some problem created, often by the people in power, and then they offer a solution to it. Like they create a deadly disease, they let it loose, then they offer a solution to it. And this is what was happening to me personally. My alcoholism or my crazy thinking or my lack of knowledge on how to operate my own body, my choice to disconnect from other people was leading me into all these situations where a drink looked really tempting. I created problems and then the alcoholism would come in to solve it and act like a hero. And that's what... If you get people like that are new in AA, they don't realize or they're not in they're still in denial that when you the obsession of drink comes back, it's not going to look like a villain, it's going to look like a hero to save you from all these jerks around you who don't deserve you anyway. And thank God I had just enough honesty and just enough self-awareness and and so many people praying for me. I guarantee you my wife's family cranked up the prayers for me after they saw that. I'm sitting there saying that I don't like them and they're behind the scenes praying, please God help Jerry. Please God help Jerry. 
and everybody in my life was praying for me. Please God help Jerry. And people at AA meetings were praying for me. Please God help Jerry. And uh, today I pray for so many people. I see so many sick people come into meetings. And I'm like, please God help this person. Please God show them the world of possibilities. And I try and do whatever I can, but prayer makes a huge difference. And sometimes all you can offer somebody is prayers. So what happened was, I had the obsession to drink for weeks and it killed me. I mean, it literally killed my entire previous, I, it was so bad, it essentially collapsed all of my mental structure about who I am and I was allowed to be reborn. The suffering, the obsession to drink produced, produced, I said produced too many times, the suffering, the obsession to drink put on me was so bad, it allowed me to have a spiritual awakening. And all I did was pray and hang on and don't drink no matter what. I had basic sobriety, don't drink no matter what. And God, the no matter what was relevant. Because I every day, I'd, and it, I'd go back and forth. My mind would go back and forth constantly. Please, God, keep me sober. I, I can drink before my wife gets home. Please, God, keep me sober. You told your mother you wouldn't drink. Screw her anyway. She doesn't even need me. She doesn't deserve. Oh, my God. It was so utterly miserable. So after, I'll tell you some of the magical moments that happened. The spiritual awakening started to happen when the suffering got to the, uh, just the most, conscious level like dude this is nuts there are two of me and they argue all the time who am I I'm dying it hurts all the time I was at the gym one day doing personal training the entire day before going to the gym was a negotiation back and forth from sober to drunk all right you just go to personal training and then go to the liquor store right afterwards it's right on the way home no 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 that's I'm, I told everybody to stay sober I'm not gonna do that God please help me stay sober all right, well, why don't you just go to the liquor store now? Screw personal training. You're going to have more time to drink today if you go straight to the liquor store now. Well, God, please, no, I really don't want to drink. And then my mind's like, for God's sake, just get in the car. Don't be a wuss. Go go get the liquor now. It's, you're going to have a great time today. Look how much you're suffering. Don't you want some relief from this? You need to relax, man. You need to relax. Go to the liquor store. You know you're not going to be able to relax if you don't get a drink. You know personal training is not going to take the edge off for very long. Go get a drink. All right, you know what? I'll just decide after personal training. I'll just go to personal training. I told her I'd be there. I'll just go to personal training and we'll decide after personal training. So the whole time I'm at personal training, my mind's going back and forth. Am I, am I going to do it? Am I not? Am I going to do it? Am I not? And I get in the car and I'm like, oh God, I have to go to the liquor store. I'm so miserable. I'm so sick of being in my own head. I hate myself. I hate life. I hate God. I'm out. I have to go to the liquor store right now. And my dad had passed away and I didn't know if my prayers were working to God because I thought, you know, if I keep praying to God and I keep having thoughts about drinking, clearly God's not listening. I don't think God's listening. So I pr I'm like, you know what? You know who has time? My dad. So I prayed to my dad. I'm like, please, dad, drive this car home now from the liquor store. I have to go, but I know you wouldn't go. Please possess my body and drive this car home from personal training because if I get home and I drive by the liquor store, I'm safe at least for the rest of the day, which at this point was like 3 p.m. 
Now, never mind you, I couldn't be bothered to go to an AA meeting, but I could be bothered to pray to my dad. And I had this amazing sensation like that I was shifting over into the passenger seat, that my dad took over my body, and I just sobbed the whole way home from personal training, drove by the liquor store, I felt like a kid, I just sobbed the whole way home. And I woke up the next day in the obsession and I had a brief break from the obsession to drink and I read through the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. I was into the stories and I got a little bit of hope and I thought maybe tomorrow will be a little better and I woke up the next day and all I could think about was drinking and I'm like, Jesus Christ, I can't do this anymore. I need to relax. I got This has to stop. I can't keep doing this. And uh, that day, the negotiation went on and on, liquor store, and I, I, I prayed to God and one of the thoughts I got I had this very clear, like, I need to relax. Like, I I used alcohol to relax. So without alcohol for 90 days, I mean, you talk about anxiety, I was constantly on the edge of a panic attack. My mind was constantly racing. My body was physically rigid. And uh, I latched on to this lady in AA meeting one day. I prayed to God, please, I really want to stay sober. Please, Dad, give me some ideas. And I, this thought came to me of this lady who shared in an AA meeting a little while before. And she said, one thing that really helps with my sobriety is I go get a massage and I just lay there and I relax and it's so nice. I don't need to have a drink and I've, I feel great afterwards and I'm so relaxed. Now, at the time I thought that, my mind cursed her out called her names for being so stupid and figured she must be getting a happy ending at the massage. Now that's how alcoholic minds often work, that anything that might actually help you, the mind will attack it. Some of you are watching this right now, your mind is just constantly attacking everything I'm saying. And that is a mental defense mechanism. I see it so acutely in newcomers. I ask, when are you gonna be able to go to, you know, they're sick. And I'm like, can you make the meeting tomorrow? Oh no, you know, I gotta work. I'm like, bro, you're, I'll pray for you because you're fucked. <laughs> and they relapsed, you see the same thing. You need to learn that these attack thoughts from your mind are defense mechanisms. That if you truly, hey, what's up, Chexy? Nice to see you today. If you truly don't vibe with something, your heart will let you know. Often your mind, though, just fights every single thing that might be new or might help you. So on this particular day, I managed, I'm like, okay, I've got to relax. I'm desperate. I'll go get a massage. I'm sure if they offer me a happy ending, I'll say no. I hope I'll say no. How bad can it be? I, it, it's got to be worth the money because if I drink and kill myself, I'm not going to need money anyway. So I managed, but my mind at the same time is like, screw a massage, hit the liquor store, you know that's gonna work, this massage is crap, gonna cost money, you know they're gonna jerk you off or something. Do not get a massage, that's a stupid idea from a dumb old lady. And I managed to get out of the house. I negotiated with all parties involved. Look, I ended up at this place right next to the liquor store I used to go to and there was a massage envy. There's Publix liquors on the right and a massage envy on the left. And the only reason I could go there is because I actually went to one massage place and they said they were booked. So the next massage place I found on Google is right next to the liquor store I used to go to. And I'm like, all right, well, everyone agrees we need to be in this parking lot because we're either going to get a massage 
and maybe stay sober and have a great life, or I'm going to drink myself to death by going to the liquor store. And I was terrified that I was going to walk into the liquor store, which made sense. But what surprised me is I was terrified to go get a massage. I felt almost as much fear to do that as to go into the liquor store. And I, that, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. Why would I be that scared to go get a massage? It, it's, Ill, it's not logical. I don't care how I feel. I'm going to go do the next right thing. They've been telling me that in AA for months. I know going to the liquor store is the wrong thing and I have to relax right now. And this lady in AA with 20 years sober said it worked. I'm going to take a leap of faith and go get a massage. And I walked in. I was terrified. And they said, get comfortable. I left my boxers on because I was so scared that somebody might want to touch my pecker. And uh, and that I'd like it. <laughs> and then I'd feel bad, you know, as have violated my relationship with my wife. And then I'd kill myself. So it's like every thought in my mind was like, how is this going to lead to me killing myself? Like every thought, you know, as I lived in constant fear and anxiety. So I get this massage and something magical happens. After weeks of having a nonstop racing mind, after months of struggling to be sober, I finally relax. And I tell people all the time that are new, look, you can't just think your way into having better sobriety. You need to act your way in there. And the easiest thing to do is just drag your body into a situation where it can get some relief, a massage, yoga, exercise, acupuncture. For God's sakes, try something. So I go into this massage and I start paying attention to my body instead of my mind. And I notice, you know, she's you know, she's massaging the muscles here and the muscles there and her hands over here and her hands over there. And all of a sudden my mind shuts off and I get peace and I get to relax. I get that feeling you get when you have that first drink and for a moment there's peace. And then I get three very clear thoughts. I swear they came from God, guardian angel, my dad. They were extremely deep, very authoritative and it didn't sound like my usual thinking and they came instantly. But my mind had to stop and quiet down first to hear them. The first thought was, at this point, I still didn't have a sponsor after three months of being just basic sobriety, not drinking but doing a little else. The first thought was, you will ask Tony to be your sponsor. The second thought was, you will go to five meetings a week. And the third thought was, you will read that book, which I had still not finished reading the big book Alcoholics Anonymous. Despite an immense amount of suffering and loneliness, I hadn't even finished reading the book, hadn't even asked for a sponsor, and I was only going to two meetings a week. And after that moment, that was, some people call that like a quantum moment, the spiritual awakening, that was the moment. After that, my sobriety most of the time has been extremely easy and enjoyable. I've found all kinds of ways to relax. I have never had the obsession to drink come back longer than a few moments, after which I told somebody about it and it went away again immediately. Another thing that happened, I think this was before I got the massage. A little while before I got the massage, one day they asked in an AA meeting, they said, is anyone having trouble staying away from a drink today? And my little vulnerable, desperate hand went up and I said, yes, I'm Jerry, I'm an alcoholic and all day I've wanted to drink. 
all day I've thought about drinking, the only thing I've been able to do is tell myself that I'll drink tomorrow. So I just want to let you all know that I'm going to drink tomorrow. Thanks. And man, the prayers and the love and the shares, people, it made a huge difference. And I didn't drink tomorrow or the next day. I soon thereafter had the spiritual awakening. And my sobriety has been one more spiritual awakening after the next. And I had an amazing thing after that. I realized what happened. I saw, oh, I stayed sober. I tried some new things. And then the obsession to drink went away. I found a new way to relax. And all of a sudden, like my entire mental idea of the world kind of collapsed. And I felt this massive spark of hope. I'm like, oh my God. Now I know what people are saying in meetings is true. Now I know what I need to do. I'm going to do it. And this is going to work for me. And man, that was amazing. Lisa says, did you ever apologize to the dog? Oh yeah, I, I've, I love that dog so much. He's on his last legs. He's probably going to die soon. I pet him and I look at him and I say, thank you. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for helping me on my journey to being here and alive now. Thank you for calling me out. So yeah, I, I have a great relationship with the dog now. So from, from here, so that's basic sobriety. That's the transition from basic sobriety to what I would call kind of standard sobriety in AA. Once you've hit the 12th step and you've had a spiritual awakening, then and you are out there helping other people, you're consistently going to AA meetings. To me, that is what I'd say standard sobriety is. Basic sobriety in my mind is unsustainable. Well, you either need to get in there to like standard gifts of what Alcoholics Anonymous offers or you're going to probably drink again because basic sobriety really sucks. Michael says, my dad went to an AA meeting and the help he got there was amazing. It is. It's so amazing. Having a room full of people pray for you makes a huge difference, especially when your friends and family are also praying for you. I, you, you, I pray for so many people today and it's, you know, if you have a whole room and a whole community of people praying for you, it makes a big difference. And I look at a lot of the tragedies we have in our society are completely preventable if we are praying for people. And we should not just be praying for victims. We need to be praying and loving and supporting people who feel isolated and alone before they go do something horrible. They need some serious prayers and help, and that's what I got. So... After I had this massage and this spiritual waking, now mind you, mind you, I had barely done anything else on the steps. At this point, all I had done was write a four-step out, an honest story of my life. Lisa, yes, the, the dog helped aim me in the right direction. My wife helped, my mother helped, my brother helped, all the people in AA meetings helped. It often can take a lot of us to help one person who's sick and struggling. And this is what my life is all about today. I want to be part of one of us, a part of a lot of us who help the one of us here and there who's really sick and really struggling and on the edge of hurting themselves or somebody else. We can, we can help each other so much more than we realize. 
So after I, I, and I had this spiritual awakening, I had barely done any step work. You do not have to even do like a fist step with your sponsor to have a spiritual awakening. You don't have to do a good job on all the steps to have a spiritual awakening. You just have to start and to try a little bit. I made a solid effort on my first four step. I wrote out before I went to this massage and had this awakening, I wrote out a 10,000 plus word story of my life. And I wrote it up and posted it on the blog to my website, which I later took down after the police came five years later because a parent in my school managed to read one, read that series of blog posts. So I, this is why I don't put my fifth step and my fourth step right out in front of everybody anymore. I've learned to share things in a way that's a bit more publicly consumable. However, that, that I at first... I literally wrote my first four-step out and put it on my website. 10,000 words, an honest story of my life that included all my suicide attempts, that included all my crazy thinking, that included you know a lot of the tough things that happened in my life as a result of my alcoholism. And what I did to start my fifth step is I shared little bits of my story directly in open AA meetings. And I've had a lot of people that have tried to tell me I should not share about things that I share about in open AA meetings. I go much farther in open AA meetings. I share my sex issues that I've had in the past. My sex life is wonderful today. My wife and I have sex every other day. I have a very happy and focused sex life. I can barely see an attractive woman without seeing all the things she doesn't have or that I don't know if she has or not that my wife has. And it's beautiful. The amount of reprogramming I've done in this body is incredible. And that that's advanced sobriety. It's when you, you literally craft yourself exactly as you would like to be. And you ruthlessly, you know, really work the steps to a point where you have everything. Everything in your life is exactly how you want it. Nothing is out of place. And challenges that come along are interesting. They test your creation. So... I started doing like my fifth step just by raising my hand and talking about my suicide attempts right out in open meetings and talking about things like paying girls to come over right out in open meetings. And then from there, you know, getting a, like starting the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth steps, like, okay, the first thing I can do to make amends is to not do any of this stuff again, to not say any, you know, to, to be nicer and doing a massage. I got to the spiritual awakening because. You take a thorough 10th step doing a massage. The massage very much helps with the 11th step of you know, relaxing, connecting to a higher power, and that's how I got the spiritual awakening. So I barely did anything on the steps. I did the smallest beginning on the steps, and I got a spiritual awakening. However, I would have relapsed if I did not seriously deepen my work after that. And right after I got that massage, I asked Tony to sponsor me right away. I felt disgustingly vulnerable asking him to sponsor me. He said yes, and he was a perfect sponsor for me. Now, I didn't have anything to tell him on my fifth step because he'd heard me talk about my life and share the basic things that were on my first four step right out in open meetings. However, one day somebody shared something that triggered a memory of a night where I had almost hurt myself and other people, and uh, I had this horrible feeling come up in me. This was a memory buried so deep that when I did an honest story of my life and I did my first four step, it did not come up at all. 
This was a memory filled with shame that I had hidden that I had tried to bury as deep as possible. And if you have thinking that is constantly running around that rat race, constant one thought after another, that thinking is often there because there's something you really desperately buried that you don't want to think about and that thinking is there to protect you. You've put that in place to distract you. And when you get relaxed and you look at all these higher levels of thinking, these thoughts that race, and you let them go, then the really buried deep stuff comes up because you just took off that protective layer of distracted racing thinking. And there are so many people in our society, not even necessarily alcoholics or addicts, that just go around with that racing constant thinking that are unaware that you're doing that because you're trying to protect yourself from, and you've chosen to stick something away that you really need to think about and look at, but you're not gonna think about it or look at that, and you can't think about it if you're constantly distracted. So for me, this, this memory of a night that I felt very ashamed of, I'm lucky nobody about got hurt, but it nearly was a tragedy. And I told my first sponsor, I told my first sponsor in graphic detail as if I was trying to make a script for a movie or something. I told him every single detail and he said, God loves you. He was clearly unaffected. It didn't move him emotionally. It didn't bother him at all. He was unaffected by what I told him. And the beauty of it is I got to take in his perspective. When I saw he was unaffected by this thing that... I was. I realized you're either going to do a fist step on this topic right now or you're going to go drink right after the meeting. You're going to throw away the several months of sobriety you have. You're going to drink right after the meeting and you're going to kill yourself. Like Those are my two options, which is why I talked to my sponsor. I wouldn't be here. I've seen so many people make the other choice in that scenario instead of you know, you can see, like, especially you get some of the heavy topics like violence, like sex, crimes, uh, and for uh, women especially, like, you know, the way they raise their children and stuff, people get triggered, and it's you can see them triggered, and it's so interesting to see, like, who goes to talk to their sponsor or to talk to somebody, and who immediately leaves the meeting, goes straight to the liquor store on the way home, and relapses. So I went straight to my sponsor. I unloaded this thing on him. The gift I got was that I could now see my experience from his point of view. From his point of view, my experience was no big deal. From my point of view, this is proof I should just drink and kill myself before I hurt anybody else. From his point of view, nobody was hurt. You're never going to do that again. It was no big deal. And that internalized into my head like, wow. I'm not this horrible person who needs to die. I'm a person who's been a bit lost and I'm learning and I know what not to do again and I have proof that I should never, ever, ever even have a sip of alcohol given what I've done when I've been drunk and almost done when I've been drunk. And I left the meeting. I felt this horrible thing come up within me, unloaded it on my sponsor and left feeling understood and loved. And I thought, great. Uh, they talked about the fifth step. There it is. I'm done. So I'm sitting at a meeting. I don't know. It might have been a month or two later. I'm sitting at another meeting. My grand sponsor is having a tough day. He's dying of prostate cancer. And 
he shares a joke that if you heard it, you'd probably say it was pretty inappropriate. I'm the only one that laughs at it and I laugh at it really loud. And I laugh at it because I understand his joke very well. And then I don't, and then all these memories going back to like childhood all flood my mind, my sex inventory. Things back as far back as, you know, elementary school. Things that I buried so deep that again, these didn't come up at all on my life story. These have not, in some cases, they had not been in my conscious mind for well over 20 years, not even once. They all flood me. All the sex things all come up at once. Things I've never told anybody about, things I feel horrible about, and I, again, get that same feeling. You're either gonna drink right after this meeting. You're gonna literally walk to the liquor store that's next door to this meeting, buy a bottle, drink it in the parking lot, and then kill yourself, or you're gonna talk to Ty right now. And I I felt so horribly vulnerable, but I knew based on what Ty has shared in the middle of open meetings, I knew I could talk to Ty about my sex inventory. And I walked up to him after the meeting. I did not have much of a relationship with this with him at this point. He had a lot of people that loved him and that would talk with him and that he helped, but I had not been one of them up until this point. And I walked up to him. I stood straight in front of him immediately after the meeting. Like As soon as people got up, I walked right over, stood right in front of him. I said, Ty, I need to talk to you. And he said, now he, he had had several people in this meeting tried to cheer him up. He was having a rough day because he was dying of cancer. And several people had tried to cheer him up. And he said, no, no, I'm fine. I said, Ty, I need to do a fist step right now. And like, you know, just panicking. And he's like, oh, okay, come on, Jerry. Let's go, let's go sit out back. And I unloaded my sex inventory on graphic, in graphic detail that I was hesitant to admit to myself let alone speak out loud. I loaded every single thing I could think of in as much detail as possible on him. And again, he was completely unaffected, maybe even entertained a little bit, and got a laugh here and there, and he said, do you want to hear mine? And I'm like, yes. Because I'd never heard anybody's sex inventory before. I'm like, yeah, let's hear it. Oh my God, his... His inventory bothered me for days. Things he had been through were so horrible that I cried. They bothered me for days. I'm like, you know, how could a dad do that to his son? So disgusting. Like, for days, what he shared bothered me. And again, I had this magical, I all of a sudden felt completely understood with Ty. I felt completely seen and loved by Ty. And from Ty's point of view, I hadn't had things nearly as bad as he had. I hadn't experienced a fraction of the sex addiction that he had been through. I hadn't seen a fraction of the nasty things that he'd seen in his life. And I could see he loved himself and he's passed on. He's happy that I share his story. And Ty and Tony and Bob and all these people at meetings, you know, many of them have passed on already. Because I gravitated, Ty was in his 70s. I gravitated towards people with long-term sobriety who'd been through a lot, who really would let it out in an open meeting. I gravitated towards them. I'm like, I want what you have. 
And especially Ty, like I saw how people loved Ty so much when he died. The whole room was just hurting. Even when I go back six years after he died to that room, anyone there who was there when Ty was there, we still, we just miss Ty. He was, he was so open and loved himself. Ty's had a huge positive impact on my life. Having him die was like losing my father again. And once I did that first fist step to him with him, now I had this connection. I started going out to lunch with him, talking to him even more. And, you know, the more I talked with Ty, it's like I learned things I couldn't learn from my father. And my father had had a pretty rough life himself. And I learned stuff from Ty that I couldn't ever feel comfortable learning from my father. And it's like I grew up. I matured massively. And uh, Ty helped me so much. And a big reason I'm able to do this online now is because of Ty. Because he went to meetings and was sober my entire life. Like literally before I was born, Ty was in a meeting getting sober. Bob, before I was born, was in a meeting getting sober. Bill, I know, funny, I have guys named Bob and Bill that helped me get sober. Brock Gaming Foundation, nice to see you today. These men that helped me and the, the women, their women shared incredible things in open meetings. And I, I am so proud of what they shared. You know, they shared their sex inventory right out in open meetings. And they helped me. They helped me get how I am. I'm able to be open and share like this online now because they did that with me in closed meetings. And that's where absolute... I got my connection back to myself. Some people are bothered when I say in AA meetings, I am God. That's who I really am. If you take away this mind, you take away this body, you take away all the stories, all that's left is God and that is me. And that is you, that is all of us, that is everything. When you strip away all of, the, all of this, God is what's left and therefore that's who I am. And I got this connection back to my highest self by doing this work in Alcoholics Anonymous. So to me, that's where you hit standard quality sobriety. You've done steps. You've shared your worst and best experiences with somebody else. You're comfortable. You help people. And to me, that's what I'd say is standard sobriety. You keep showing up at meetings. You, you've had the spiritual awakening, you work to maintain it, and, uh, you know, or maybe I would say kind of baseline quality sobriety. Like, you're not just staying sober, but you're really working and living the steps. To me, that is, that is what you need to have. Like, the awakening, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous talks about all these stories. You've had the spiritual awakening, you've made the spiritual shift, and what we'll do is, for the rest of this, we'll kind of it's important, I've spent so much time talking about like what I did to get through basic sobriety, get into actually living and working the steps and what I'd say kind of standard sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous from people who are really living and working the program. And then I'll go into what I call kind of advanced here. But keep in mind, you don't get advanced if you lose track of the basics. If you drink, that's not advanced. If you aren't going to meetings and are not helping people, you know, and you don't, if you're not an alcoholic, you, there's lots of people for you to help all over. And if you're not sure where they are, just ask. They'll show up or you'll see that somebody's in your life so that you can help them. And you should always be helping from a place of love and joy. It should not be, 
helping somebody and this this burden and they're your cross to bear you can find a way to help with love and joy and if you can't find a way to help with love and joy you might want to go help somebody else because that's not helping either of you so i'll call some of the things i've get into advanced now because this is what other people have said to me at aa meetings that you know you're so advanced and uh, i think that's great because to me advanced is kind of like you know expanding your universe infinitely like the part of me that wants to drink and knows how to drink has not went away because of what I've been through. It's just my world is huge now and that is a small, tiny part of the entire world I've got. I used to have such a small, self-centered world that my desire to drink seemed massive and it hasn't gotten any smaller. It's just the rest of me has expanded and it's expanded into everything. So to me, where would I differentiate kind of standard sobriety from advanced sobriety. To me, advanced sobriety is where you are one now. There's not two of you. There's not these these differentiations. Where you are one all the time, where you're connected almost constantly with the higher self and there's you're not presenting these different sides of you anymore. And to me, I would say advanced sobriety is defined as total transparency. You know, I would say what is not advanced sobriety is hiding that you're an AA, still continuing to go to work and act one way at work. Then you get in your car and you're driving like a lunatic. You're getting home and being nasty to your partner. And, it, you know, then you're taking a bunch of medication, identifying with all these problems. That's not advanced sobriety to me. That might be, you know, if you're not drinking, that's definitely basic sobriety, maybe standard sobriety, but that's not advanced. You're not really getting all this program has to offer. You're not really working. Uh, all right, hey, glad to see you here. Thanks a lot for watching. And you're not really getting all of what this program has to offer. The standard level is that you're getting a life that's mostly enjoyable sober. To me, the advanced level is you are getting a life where you're making a massive positive difference in the world and you are truly enjoying that journey. Advanced level is, and this is something I, from seeing other people that I say, God, like you look at this person, the quality of the sobriety they have is night and day different from somebody who's just quoting the book and basically doing the same things but just they did before, full of other character defects in the rest of their life, but just not drinking and have had a little bit of a spiritual awakening. For example, advanced, there's a guy that I know in AA that's got like 20 some years sober and he tells, he his son died and it was tragic and it was difficult and he says, Jerry, I'm able to say thank you, God, for the experience of my son dying. And like when he first tells me that, you know, I've got two kids. My mind is just like, what? What do you mean? I don't understand. How can you say thank you for that? That is purely a horrible, negative, awful experience. And he says, look, yes, it was a tough experience. Yes, it was difficult. But you know what? God has equipped me to help others who have been through the same experience. He says, 
I see these mothers, they've lost their kids and their kids were their whole lives and they're just utterly devastated and they're suicidal and they're miserable. He says, I'm able to help them because I've lost my son. I know what it's like. And when they, when I help them, when I talk to them about my experience, they know they're not alone. They know I understand. And he says, look, my son's gone either way. I can say F you to God for doing this to me or I can say thank you God for equipping me to help others who are going through the same pain. I'm like, wow, that's advanced. That is advanced. Like that is amazing that you can you can see through some of life's most brutal and difficult experiences, you can see the good in that situation. Like to me that is advanced where everything that has happened to you, you are grateful for it because it's empowered you to help somebody else who's been in a similar situation. To me, advanced sobriety is thinking ahead. It's me as a parent looking for these parents who've lost their children and having their phone numbers and being ready. Just in case that happens to me, I have several people with very strong sobriety whose children have died while they were sober and they've made it through it. I know exactly who to call if you know, let my kids are at school and as far as I know, they're safe. If should the worst happen, I know exactly who to call. I know who's already been through it. I know who I can go eat lunch with. I know who can help me. Advanced sobriety is you think ahead of the things that might happen to you. You look for people in all of your life who've already been through the things that might happen to you. You learn from them. You connect with them. Your phone is ready. I have one guy I'm sponsoring because to some people, advanced sobriety is off-putting. It's too out there. It's too saying I am God just puts some people like, whoa, this guy's really full of himself. No, I know who I am. I have one guy that I'm so honored. He's been working with me for years. He has good sobriety. He's consistent. And I, the main thing, I ask him, you know, how's your sobriety going? How's your life going? And I ask him, are you prepared? Are you prepared for the worst to happen? I pray to God, I hope I'm prepared for the worst to happen. I remember one day that was tough for me. I got the call from my brother and he says, mom just fell off her horse. You know, this after my dad, a year after my dad had died, I've got my newborn daughter in the baby carrier at night at, I don't know, nine or 10 at night. My wife had been in bed for a couple hours. My daughter had fell asleep. I get the call from my brother says that, hey, they just called me and said that mom fell off her horse and is getting airlifted to the hospital right now. They don't know if she's going to make it or not. And I remember, thankfully, I'd been through, I'd been thoroughly through the steps a few times. I'd had the transformation and deepened it and deepened it. And I remember this whole feeling of despair just took my whole body and mind over. And I was playing... I had just stopped playing video games. I remember I just held on to my daughter and kind of collapsed onto the floor and just started like scream crying. I woke up her, I woke my daughter up, I woke my wife up and I let out this, all these horrible emotions and fear that came up. And after that, I don't know how long it lasted, but it's like I felt it, I processed it. And then I'm like, okay, this is my new reality. My mom's airlifting to the hospital now. She might die. I'm ready. I know who I can talk to about this in AA. I know whose mother's already died. 
I know who's already lost their parents. I know I can share about this in a meeting. My wife's here to support me. My daughter's here to give me love. My wife's family's here. I'm ready. I can do this. And that, like, there, you know, a moment of utter despair. And yet, right after that, and I refer to this as mental flexibility. A lot of the pain we attribute to in our lives, I can s simplify down to mental rigidity. To me, mental rigidity is associated with physical rigidity and combined mental and physical rigidity to me is a precursor to death. If your mind and your body are very rigid, you will have trouble with the energy flowing through you and I would think of most people before they die or a lot of people, a lot of trees and animals get very rigid before death. You know, you can't hardly walk, body doesn't hardly move anymore and then you die and let go. And that's your release from rigidity. So to me, flexibility, especially mental and physical flexibility is a sign of youth, of health, and this is something you can very intentionally and I have very intentionally worked on. Smash42, thank you very much for the follow. How'd you find us here? And that's mental flexibility. All of a sudden, one moment, I think my mom's doing fine. Next moment, get a call, she might die and go through the pain, the pain is switching your new reality, is adjusting how you thought things were to how they are now. Hey, you just scrolled and found me? That's awesome, thanks a lot for scrolling and ending up here on Twitch. I'm almost done sharing my story in Alcoholics Anonymous here, my eight years sober. And the pain is often simply going through that process of transition mentally. And the more flexible I am, the easier it is to make transitions. To me, anger, anxiety, depression are often signs of a rigid mind. Is that your body and or your mind are inflexible. That you uh, cannot allow yourself to adjust. Smash 42, your 22 beers tonight? I can relate to that. I used to drink the, the equivalent amount of liquor and I'm eight years sober now and it's amazing. And I, I've got some meetings on YouTube or I've got some, you know, a lot of meetings talking about my drunk-a-log. Today I'm talking about how much I love being sober. I drank because I didn't like being sober. I thought I drank because I enjoyed alcohol and it was fun. No, I drank because I didn't like being sober and I found being sober unsatisfying. And I found it was difficult to have sobriety that was nearly as good as drinking. And now my sober life my sober life is so much better than the best of what I got drinking. My normal regular day is better than my best drinking days and it's taken a while to get there. And uh, what really helps is having that mental flexibility. Alcoholics are often very rigid people and we actually use alcohol to loosen ourselves up a little bit. I felt that sober I was so rigid back when I used to drink that if basically anything happened in my life, I'd get pissed off and anxious and upset and depressed and then I could lubricate and loosen myself up a little bit with alcohol and adjust and then often I'd wake up the next day with a hangover feeling miserable but my mind would also have adjusted and this is something meant once you realize that mental and physical rigidity cause you huge amounts of pain and mental and... Uh, Physical flexibility will allow you to quickly adapt to new situations. One of the best tools I've found for 
getting loosening up is massage. Having a physical massage from a trained massage therapist and no happy ending is required. There's no shame if, if that's how you prefer to have it, but I'm in a monogamous marriage, so I don't have that. I have a professional massage that loosens my entire body up. And when the first professional massage I ever had loosened my body up, my mind immediately loosened up and made adjustments to make being sober much better. Start going to more AA meetings, read the book, get a sponsor. Those were things I had been unwilling to do until my physical body loosened up. So I consistently tell people that are struggling with being sober, loosen your physical body up. It will help you loosen and make your mind more flexible. And the things that seem so difficult to you now when your mind is flexible will become easy. Hey, if you if you did bodybuilding, often bodybuilding tightens your body up even more because you get these really strong muscles. The stronger you get all these strong muscles, it can be even harder to be flexible. So I do yoga. I do yoga. If you want to deepen your flexibility, I do yoga like five days a week now. Oh my God. Very thorough 10th and 11th step. And by the end of it, you're really feeling back in the 12th step. Like today, let me describe my yoga. I... I came back, I went to yoga this morning and there was this guy sitting in front of me and my mind was constantly ripping this guy. You know, he's he's wearing a thong, for God's sakes. You know, like my, this is my, my mind saying. My mind cussed at this guy with at least 10 or 20 different curse words. Some of them didn't even make sense or weren't even relevant to anything about him, but just cussed this guy out over and over again. He's breathing too loud. You know, look, he's just, his foot touched my head. You know, like, my mind just crossed it, this guy, and ripped this guy for everything you can imagine for about 30 minutes of yoga, after which it settled down, and by the end of that yoga class, I'm like, you know what you're going to do now? You're going to introduce yourself to this man who you've seen several times before, you're going to pretend like he's a hot chick who you'd be very happy to introduce yourself to. You're going to introduce yourself to this man and shake his hand and find out what his name is and be nice to him. And after after an hour of yoga, I uh, enjoyed that. I, I walked up to him. I said, hey, you were doing some nice handstands today. And my mind is funny, like ripping this guy with all this criticism. But then also... You know, then I put some thoughts in there too. I'm like, look at the handstands he's doing. And my mind was, I don't usually think violent thoughts. My mind even thought a few violent thoughts. I'm like, yeah, you're not going to be able to beat this dude up. This dude can do handstands. This dude could pound you into a pulp. <laughs> and I walked up this dude after yoga and shook this guy's hand. I said, nice handstands. Nice to meet you. Shared our names. Moved on. And where, to me, advanced sobriety is you are very aware that your mind is not who you are. That the things you think are basically like passengers on a bus. You are driving the school bus. It doesn't matter how much those kids holler and make noise in the back. You are driving. You decide exactly what happens and goes on in your life. To me, advanced sobriety is taking... 100% ownership and saying your life is exactly where you've decided it should be. If your life is miserable and full of suffering, you've put yourself there 
And if you'd like to get out of there, you have the power to get out of there. But you will need, people helped you get to where you're at today. You will need to summon people in your life to help you get to where you want to go. Oh, a Smash says, how do you not get bored? Congrats on the eight years. My mind is so expanded now. I read books about ex secret space programs, people living on other planets. I take joy in the simple things in my life and I have peace, like that peace you get when you take a drink or two that basically every drink after that's just trying to hope that initial peace you get when you have a drink or two doesn't go away. I have that all day, every day. That feeling I used to drink for, that feeling of kind of a buzz, like life is good, I'm at peace. I have that almost all day, almost every day. And I talked to a guy who was a year sober, like it doesn't take that long. He's like, man, you know what? I said, what? And he's like, you know that feeling I used, you used to drink for? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, I have that all day, every day, almost all day, almost every day now. I'm like, I know, this is a sweet deal. Pedro, thanks for the subscription, my man. Thank you very much for subscribing again on Twitch. I'm grateful I'm giving you some goosebumps. Smash 42, this idea will sound a bit crazy. I imagine based on where you're at and remembering where I was at, I have no need for rewards today. And I know this will sound cliche, every moment of my life is a reward. I play video games like this, this is what I do. This is my life, this is what I do. My life itself is a reward. I don't need rewards anymore. I have sex every other day. I love playing video games and live streaming. I enjoy simple things like laying next to my wife before we go to bed, being there to help my kids get to school in the morning. I even enjoy the little unpleasantness moments that come throughout the life. I laugh at my mind ripping this dude in yoga. I don't need a reward anymore because I'm not struggling and suffering the rest of the day. What our society very much puts us in is this mindset of you got to shove what you want to do aside. You got to act a certain way and be a certain way, present a certain way, which is uncomfortable, which is painful. And when you are, you are doing that, you're hating it the whole time, then you're craving a reward where you can release and be yourself. I am myself all day, every day. If I don't want to do something, I just say no. Somebody offered me a piece of cake the other day and I'm like, no. And this other guy's like, oh man, I was thinking, I should I say no? What's she gonna think? I'm like, I don't even think of that anymore. If I don't want something, I just say no and I don't care if you didn't like that or not. Like, if I don't want food, I don't care what you think of whether I wanted food or not. I, I'm not two people anymore. When you're two people, when you're this public persona, it's often painful and you're desperate to get out of that and the reward is getting out of that fake public persona and getting to just like when I used to drink I felt like I could really be me I could just swear and do all kinds of stuff and I didn't have to put on a show I could just be myself well I can just be myself all the time now it took a while to adjust and to learn who I really am and yeah I don't need a reward to enjoy my life all day anymore it's it's a real nice day Smash42 says, my life gets sober, or my life gets better the longer I'm sober. I just can't stop though. I've been there. 
And for me, at first my life would seem to get better, but for me in my own mind, the longer I was sober, I always relapsed because my life actually felt like it was getting worse. Even though my body would get better, people would start treating me better, in my own head, my own life got to be worse the longer I'd get sober. And that's why I always relapsed, because I got sick of being sober Jerry, and I got desperate to be drunk Jerry. Drunk Jerry could say anything he wanted to, do anything, be anything. Drunk Jerry was free. Sober Jerry was like a prisoner of life and a prisoner of our society. Drunk Jerry was free. And I've learned how to just be me all the time. And God is so good. And it's often difficult to change any habit. But what helps, what makes a difference to me, advanced sobriety, is all about realizing it often takes a lot of help to, for one person to make a big change. And uh, I offer as much as I possibly can because, you know, if for somebody to make a big change, they might, ha they might need an entire community praying for them and lifting them up. They might need to watch thousands of hours of my videos or whatever it is. And I, I understand. Ah, and social stuff is hard. All right, so the, the cause... To me, advanced sobriety is a very high level of connection. I'm connected even when I'm not physically with people. I'm thinking of people both in a general sense of all people on earth, even in outer space and life in other places, future and past. I'm connected with all life all the time. And physically, I'm not isolated very often. I mean, even here, I'm reading and talking to chat and... Uh, if I'm not around anybody, I'm listening to a book and taking somebody else's story and I'm watching a YouTube video that inspires me. And if I'm by myself, I'm saying thank you, I'm praying, I'm meditating and I'm exploring my mind. The opposite of, of addiction is connection. Because selfishness and being stuck in ourselves and isolated from other people is very painful and it creates this desire for an escape, for numbing the pain and the solution, this is why Alcoholics Anonymous works if you show up and if you connect with other people and you talk with other people. To me, advanced sobriety is a state of being very connected. If you think about how you became, like for me, how I became an alcoholic, a lot of people worked really hard, devoted their life's work to making liquor, to advertising it, to getting it into movies. By the time I, before I even drank, I'd seen tens of thousands of beer commercials when I watched football. I'd seen all kinds of references in movies that made it look good. A lot of people worked really hard to convince people to buy alcohol. Alcohol itself is kind of like a mild intoxicant or poison to the human body. It messes up the functionality of the human body. It's essentially a snake oil. It does very little and yet it's a profitable snake oil that a lot of people have worked together to sell in order to make themselves rich and in order to help keep people compliant. Because you drink a bunch of alcohol, you wake up the next day and feel bad, you go to work and you feel like you deserve to have a crappy job where you get exploited for money. Whereas you get sober, you start thinking, you know what, I don't deserve to have a crappy job where they exploit me for money, I'm not gonna work there anymore. Man, now I don't have a job. Now I'm really confused and I'm really frustrated. And then you relapse out of boredom. You drink again. You go back to the same old crappy job. You're in the same situation you were before. 
So it takes a lot of people working together to convince you that alcohol is awesome and you should drink it and it'll make your life better. And for better or worse, it can take a lot of people working together to help you see you don't need alcohol and in fact, alcohol is limiting you from reaching your full potential. Let, let me make a little analogy. Imagine if alcohol was your car. If alcohol was your car, alcohol's like putting a speed limit on your car and introducing some unpredictability into how your car drives. Now, that might make it more fun to drive and in some ways, you might think it was more safe to drive. Like if you put, you know, you set your speed limit to 60 miles an hour. Now, you might get frustrated that other people are driving faster than you and that your car just wrecks sometimes for no obvious reason. That's what alcohol is doing. It's slowing you down and it's causing these unexpected chaotic things to happen, not always, from time to time. And you stop drinking and... Uh, it actually can seem scarier because, wow, now I don't have the speed limit. I can really go do anything in my life. It's kind of scary and intimidating. And this is where having a community of people to support you in that transition. Stopping drinking is kind of like being born again. It's hard. And you can really use a lot of help with that process. So that's why, to me, there's no substitute for going to Alcoholics Anonymous, no matter how good I get, no matter how advanced my life gets, no matter how great things go for me, I keep going to Alcoholics Anonymous and I keep helping other people. And no matter how bad I feel, no matter what's going wrong, I've had a lot of things go wrong and be uncomfortable in sobriety and I keep going to Alcoholics Anonymous and every time something goes wrong, I end up eventually with an even better, more advanced sobriety than I had before, more learning. So... We're going to wrap this up right here. I'm going to go have lunch and then I'll be back on my live stream. If you've watched this whole thing and you were on YouTube for this, I would love to get to know you. You can come hang out with our community when we live stream and know whenever I go live on Twitch. If you watch this on YouTube, thank you for all the minutes you watched. You've helped other people find this. I made this one a bit longer to really get deeper into some things that I hit the surface before. If you haven't seen my seven-year and my six-year AA speaker meeting, you I have a whole playlist of AA videos on YouTube that'll help you. Thank you very much for watching this.